Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, a podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we welcome back to our pulpit our senior pastor, Roy Burkett. Pastor Roy is jumping back into our series in James called The Matters of Real Christianity. Today, we will be looking at the first 13 verses of chapter 2 with a message entitled Fellowship, a Matter of Love. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Uh, If you open your Bibles to James chapter 2, I know this is um, the 4th of July weekend, and you're like, man, we should be talking about the nation. And I did think about that and prayed about that, but I felt like we should pick up in James because, you know, our nation is in a mess. But really, for the nation to change, it's going to start with the church. And so I want to really focus on the church today, and so I've titled the sermon, Fellowship, A Matter of Love, because I think James is focusing on that here, even though he's writing to Jewish Christians, and I believe he's addressing the synagogue. Um, We are in the church today, and he would say the same thing, I think, to us. So let's look at this together, James 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, uh, well, actually 1 through um, 13, if you'd like to follow along. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Sounds pretty simple. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, he's writing to believers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Somebody said uh, there are two million laws in the United States. I'm not sure exactly when that was written. Maybe there's more. And if a man became, could become familiarized himself with them at the rate of two a day, he could qualify to act as a law-abiding citizen in the space of about 6,000 years. Uh, God has given us laws that we need to obey. I want to share with you a hypothetical story I want you to picture in your mind a gorgeous day like we have today, but it's a long-anticipated day for a wedding of a beautiful bride to her handsome husband. 
The church is filled with nicely dressed people, expecting a service with worshipful music and scripture reading pointing people to God. The bridesmaids are dressed in long lavender dresses and styled hair. The pianist is playing softly on the piano, accompanied by a violin. A few minutes before the mothers are to light the candles and the service is to begin, there's an unexpected circumstance that changes the entire mood in the bridesmaid's dressing room. Someone has stumbled and spilled their coffee on the wedding gown of the bride. Panic-stricken, a couple of the bridesmaids try in vain to wash off the stain and even found some spot remover, but to no avail. Time would not permit any other solutions to be attempted. The bride would have to enter the sanctuary with a stained garment and face the embarrassment of family and friends who are gathered. She fights back tears as she strives to make her face joyful despite the stain. When the doors of the sanctuary are finally opened and the bride enters the room, the crowd grows amazingly silent and they look on in disbelief. The eyes of the bridegroom catch the unsightly stain and he is deeply saddened over the sight. The service continues and the wedding takes place but the stained dress drew everyone's attention away from the service. Questions swirled in the minds of the audience as they wondered what happened what went wrong? How could this happen? Why do I share this story with you? Because in many ways, this is happening in the church today. The church is the bride of Christ. And because of the way the church has treated certain people coming in the door, the bride of Christ, the church, has a big stain on her. The stain has taken away the focus of what we should be focusing on, the gospel. Jesus, the bridegroom, has taken notice of our stain, and he is deeply saddened because people do not see or hear the gospel the way it was meant to be seen and heard. People's attention is turned away from the cross and the gospel, and they look elsewhere for comfort, healing, and help. They struggle on in their sin and are afraid to give the church, the bride of Christ, another chance. My mom shared with me when we were back home visiting with them that there's a restaurant in their town that they've invited a waitress to come to the church. But she said, no, I will never come to church again. And the thing that runs through my mind is, what happened? What happened? Somewhere along the way, she was hurt by a church. And because she's been hurt, she's looking elsewhere for comfort, help, and healing. May that never happen. Our fellowship should be inviting people into the body of Christ. People who are hurting the church is a hospital for sinners. We have to reach out with the love of Christ. We have to reach out with the gospel. We have to realize God has impressed upon me more and more that we are all broken people. Yes, we've been redeemed. Yes, God has power over sin. And we've been redeemed, but we're also recovering 
from our sin. We're recovering from our past. Remember the Israelites were taken out of Egyptian bondage, but it took 40 years to get Israel out of them. And God is refining us over and over, and he takes us and he sifts us and he sifts us and he sifts us till we become like refined gold. I believe every church has some stains or wrinkles, and God is at work to remove those stains and wrinkles so the gospel can be heard. We have stains and wrinkles at Bethesda Church. I have stains and wrinkles in my own life. You have them in yours. Every church has them. Everybody, if we had time to go through this entire audience, I'll bet everybody has been in a church where they felt it was unfriendly, uninviting, not loving. You felt maybe invisible. You say, man, I felt that way here. Maybe you have. But you know, it is a two-way street. Because some people leave as soon as the service is over. They come in at the last minute, and they don't give people an opportunity. And the reason they hold them at arm's length is because of fear or past hurt or pain. And somehow we have to move beyond this to say, you know what, they're really doing this. They're really doing this. They really want... Who doesn't want love and acceptance? Who doesn't want somebody to show compassion to them? That's what James is telling us here. So what does he do? He starts off, my brothers, he's talking to believe, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. What is that? Let's look if this is going to advance. I don't know if it will. Might have to advance it. It's trying. There we go. The bride of Christ, pull that back up. <laughs> Did you read that fast? <laughs> the bride of Christ is less attractive when it wears an ugly stain caused by prejudiced attitudes. There's a stain in the church when you and I exercise prejudiced attitudes toward people because they don't dress like us, they don't act like us, they don't look like us. They have a different color of skin. They come from a different economic background. They have a different education level. They have a different economic level. And yet, it's in the bride of Christ where someone with a PhD should be able to get down on their knees with a boy who's eight years old and doesn't know who his dad is. That's what will transform a church. That's what will remove the ugly stain of the body of Christ when somebody can come in and everybody should be able to receive a hug no matter who they are in the body of Christ. But the prejudice attitude, let me give you a quick little um, definition that comes from Oswald Chambers on prejudice. Prejudice a prejudice is a foreclosed judgment without having sufficiently weighed the evidence. You have looked at somebody and you've sized them up based on their external appearance. You see their external, and I do, I, I, <laughs> I've done it. We've all done it. And we all continue to do it. And it's, it's something that we will wrestle with and be challenged with our whole lives that we've got to get over that idea 
a foreclosed judgment without having sufficiently weighed the evidence. He goes on to say, Oswald Chambers goes on to say, no one of us is free from prejudices. And the way we reveal them most is by being full of objection to the prejudices of other people. If we stick obstinately to any line of prejudice, there will come the surgery of events that will shift us out of it. God has to perform surgery on us to remove that prejudice attitude. Watch that you do not make an issue with God, he says. It is a dangerous thing to do. He goes on to say, remember, we, on, we only see along the line of our prejudice. And prejudice means ignorance. We are always prejudiced over what we know least about, and we foreclose our judgment about it. And then I like this, and I'm not sure who made this statement, but he says, if we were to wake up some morning and find that everyone was the same race, creed, and color, we would find some other causes for prejudice by noon. <laughs> I thought how true that is. We would find some reason to be prejudiced against one another if we were the same color, race, and creed. Because it's in our, it's in our human nature to be that way. And notice he goes on to say, don't show favoritism. Favoritism here is the idea of receiving the face. That's what it actually means here. It means to receive the face. What it means is you are receiving the person based totally on their external appearance when you know nothing about them. Instead of really getting to know them, who they are, what they've been through, what is their story. Everybody has a story, a life story. And we need to learn what it is. We are making judgments about people based on their external appearance, their social and economic status. And that's what he condemns here. He says, notice somebody coming in with a gold ring and fine clothes. They've got the most expensive suit. And they not just have one ring, they've got a multiple rings. <laughs> they stand out in a crowd. Expensive shoes. They're, they're dressed to the hilt. They got the car out there, and they come in, and we say, you know what? It's the person with the microphone says, you know what? We got a spot right down front for you that's very prominent. Come and sit right here. And somebody comes in in shabby clothes, and we say, you know what? You sit over there. And what James is talking about here is in the synagogue, they would come, and they would have cases almost like court, and they would make judgment. And he's saying, you are being very unjust in your judgment based strictly on appearance because when they came in, they were to be on a level playing field. The, the rich man should have been dressed more like the shabby man or the shabby man more like the rich man. They should have been on a level playing field so that there was not favoritism. And James is saying, you, as the body of Christ, have shown favoritism. Favoritism devalues people for whom Christ died. We need to respect the value and dignity of all people. All people are made in the image of God. Orphans, widows, people with Alzheimer's, people who are crippled. I mean, every kind of person their value and dignity comes from the fact that they were made in the image of God. Value is based on personhood, not bank accounts. God puts a price tag on human life, not you and I. 
And so we have to be careful that we don't have preconceived ideas. You know, next January, we hope to launch Celebrate Recovery at Bethesda Church. It's a ministry dealing with people who struggle with addictions. The truth of the matter is we probably all have an addiction of some sort that we're struggling with because we are all broken people. And one of the things that he talks in there about is the fact that we are all helpless apart from Jesus Christ. All of us are helpless apart from Jesus Christ. And all of us apart from Jesus Christ are hopeless people. Think about it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and right. There is no hope. There is no help apart from Jesus Christ. So when they come in the door, oh, it's our opportunity to show the love of Christ and express the mercy of God to them. See, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord does what? He looks on the heart. Our prejudice attitudes can negatively impact others around us. If you want a biblical example of that, take your Bibles for just a moment and flip over to Galatians chapter 2. Peter goes to the Gentiles. He takes the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And he begins to interact with them and have great fellowship with them until some of his Jewish friends show up. (laughs) And then he begins to withdraw. I just want to read down through this quickly. Paul is there. He says, he begins in verse, uh, jump down to verse 4. Galatians 2, 4. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that, notice what he says, the truth of the gospel might remain with you. This is what is at stake with our fellowship that is a matter of love. It is not just our fellowship. It is not just our love. It is the gospel that is at stake. By how we fellowship and how we love, the gospel will be magnified or diminished. That's why James is so adamant that our fellowship and our love needs to be deep and genuine and authentic and real for one another. He goes on to say in verse... Six, as for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, these reputed pillar to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Remember when Paul was converted, they, they gave him this. It wasn't the love, the fellowship. They didn't even want to shake his hand. This guy killed people. And yet Barnabas was the one who reached out. They agreed that we should go on to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, 
He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jews. The other Jews joined him, listen, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So our prejudice attitudes can affect others around us and will. We need to reach out to people. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. In Leviticus 19.15, he says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Preferential treatment causes divisions in the body of Christ. It should advance to the next point there. Might have to hit it, it's not coming up. Preferential treatment causes divisions in the body of Christ. And division destroys the fellowship of believers. Remember what John said in 1 John 1-7? If we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. It's when we are walking in truth, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light, walking in the truth of God will allow us to have close-knit fellowship and love in the body of Christ. You'll have to advance it. The next point I want to share with you is the truth of the gospel is compromised when we fail to live up to the law of love. It is compromised. He says in Galatians 2.14, if we go on, when I saw, Paul says, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He's saying, Peter, you compromised the gospel when you did not act according to the truth. And you allowed culture and you allowed national distinction to separate you from people you should be loving. If we want to see Bethesda Church be the bride of Christ and not have the stains and the wrinkles that God desires, we have to remove all those barriers, national distinction, ethnic barriers, every kind of barrier there possibly is. The Bible talks about slave, free, Jew, Gentile, male, female. We are all one in Christ. And that will happen when I realize my own brokenness before God. He will help us. He goes on to say in James, and we don't have time to comment on every verse, but if you go down, he says 
In verse 4, after he talks about the, the rich man dressed in good clothes and the man who was poor, he tells him to sit on the floor. He says in the end of verse 4, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's very indicting. And then he says, it's almost like, wake up. Listen, my brothers, wake up. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? And then he says, if you really keep the royal law of love, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers. And he says, if you break that one law, you are guilty of breaking all of God's law. If we show favoritism, he said it's sin and we are guilty of breaking all the law of God. And you know what? Some of us, to reach out to somebody who is different than us, is out of our comfort zone. God isn't interested in your comfort zone. He is not interested in my comfort zone. It can be out of my comfort zone. He is interested in the promotion of the gospel, and the gospel is not always comfortable. It's not. There are many things. As a matter of fact, I remember the first time I, I spoke publicly, and I, and I got up and I spoke, and I, and I was so nervous. I thought, man, I was shaken. So if I didn't get out of my comfort zone, I wouldn't be here now. God can do incredible things when we open up our heart to him and say, God, even if it's uncomfortable, and I mean as uncomfortable as a rock in your shoe, it may feel like a rock in your shoe to reach out to someone, but I implore you, I encourage you for the sake of the gospel, get out of your comfort zone. It may mean for some of you staying for five minutes after church to greet someone rather than running out the door. Your mantra is, as soon as the service is over, I'm out of here. And it's because of fear or something in your life. Overcome that a minute at a time. Let God change you. Our love for God, listen, our love for God will inevitably manifest itself by loving others. It absolutely will. If you love God, you can't help but love what he made. And then I want to finish with this last point, if it'll come up. Realize God is the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate judge. Notice what he says down in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they will be shown mercy. 
when you and I understand that we are recipients of the mercy of God, then I am going to be a channel through which his mercy will flow to others. The more I understand how much mercy God has demonstrated toward me, the more that channel will be opened and his mercy will flow to others. But the minute I forget the mercy of God, I will become legalistic, I will become judgmental, I will become critical, and I'll be looking as the eyes of a judge rather than the eyes of a doctor. Our speech will be judged, our actions will be judged, our attitudes will be judged. Our repentance and faith allow us to experience the mercy of God. But God's justice will be exercised toward those who rebel and reject His mercy. If you are here today on this 4th of July weekend and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first step of really understanding fellowship with His people, is understanding fellowship with God. That He wants a personal relationship with you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You cannot erase your sin by good deeds or baptism or giving money to the church or helping the poor. Those are all wonderful things, but they do not erase your sin. Only by the mercy and the grace of God who gave his life on the cross that we could be forgiven and cleansed and become his people. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I would like to ask you, where are you at in your relationship with God? Yeah, we could, you know, there are many things we could talk about, about our nation. And there are many, many struggles that we have as a nation. But it begins with the church. It begins with God's people. Judgment will begin at the house of God, the Bible says. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? So let me just ask you in this quiet, holy moment, do you have a personal relationship with God? If this was the end of your life and you had to give an account today before the eternal judge, would you be innocent of your sin because you've accepted Jesus Christ and his blood applied to your sin? Or would you be guilty because of the stain of sin in your life that has not been removed? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're all broken. Jesus died for broken people. He died for me. He died for you. But we have to personally receive him as our Savior and Lord. If you don't know him personally, would you, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, I'll be shaking hands at the back. See myself or someone else, we can open up God's word and show how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The other challenge is for us as believers is for our fellowship to not have the ugly stain and wrinkle 
we need to practice the royal law of love, loving our neighbor as ourself. Everything is summed up in that law because we love God first and then we love our neighbor. May God help Bethesda Church expand our arms wide and long to those We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.